Welcome to Kingdom 101, and we are excited that this is the 100th teaching. We want to welcome everyone here who is uh, in this place physically, but we also want to say hello to all of you who are listening in on SoundCloud. We're just excited that you tune in, and we pray that these teachings continue to be a blessing with you and for you. Will you continue to pray for us and continue to join us also? So as we get into tonight's teaching, will you join me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you praise, Lord, and we acknowledge that apart from you, we can do nothing. This will just be another teaching and it will just finish. But Lord, we thank you, Holy Spirit, you're going to be with us because we're going to proclaim Jesus. And I pray that through this declaration of the word, Jesus will be revealed. And so this 100th teaching and even beyond, Lord, is not just about the numbers, It's always about proclaiming Jesus that you receive the glory. So be with us, Lord, and that we will learn something again to take this out, Lord, for your name and for your purposes. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight's title is called Head to Head. And we start a new chapter, Matthew chapter 14. Now, if you know the structure of Matthew, Matthew chapter 14 starts another set of narratives, of stories. And there will be teachings along the way. Jesus travels, moves around, he teaches. And we will come soon enough, I guess, um, to the fourth discourse. And we will find that only in Matthew chapter 18. And I pray you will stay with us until we get to Matthew 18. Now you know that Matthew chapter 13 closed on a prophetic note. It was about the kingdom operating system, the declaration of the word of the kingdom. And we understand that to be prophetic. And Jesus speaks about this at the end of Matthew chapter 13. But it ends with a rejection of a prophetic voice, i.e. Jesus. Because a prophet is, he has no honor in his own home city or country or own locale. And Matthew chapter 14 opens with the silencing of another prophetic voice in this person called John the Baptist. And so let's set the scene and we'll start with just two verses. Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Now, Jesus' reputation spreads far and wide. And soon enough, the word gets to the one in charge of that region in Galilee. And this guy is called Herod. So Herod hears about Jesus and he for some reason, links him with John the Baptist. And he's a little bit worried. He says, no, look, this is John the Baptist and he has risen from the dead. Now, Herod was thinking that this guy, we know it's Jesus, but he thinks that this is John the Baptist reincarnated. Okay, this guy has come back. Now, this is more a Greek thought of reincarnation more than it is a Jewish belief of resurrection in the final day. Right? So he mistakes Jesus for John the Baptist. But here's the irony. You and I know, as we read the book of Matthew, we know that the missions of John and of Jesus are actually very closely related. So although Herod mistakes Jesus for John the Baptist, uh, he's not really that much wrong <laughs> because they are very, very closely linked together. Because in the beginning, John announces Jesus, and later on, Jesus aligns with John, and in doing that, Jesus affirms John's ministry as well as his own messianic assignment. 
And so in the same, both of them stand for the same thing. Both of them represent the same kingdom, the same message, as well as the same ministry. And yet both John and Jesus are both very, very different. The only problem is Herod can't tell the difference. Right? He was only concerned about what he did to John. And if this was the consequence coming back to literally haunt him, it was the ghost of John coming to haunt him. So that was all he was concerned about. He didn't care who Jesus was, what John really, really stood for. So let's ask a question, but what did Herod do to John? And this is where Matthew then provides a little flashback. We go to Matthew chapter 14, verses 3 to 12, and it provides a back end, a backstory to what we have just read in verses 1 and 2. So let me read verses 3 to 11 to you. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother." So now we know why Herod was a little bit panicky. (laughs) He was a little bit concerned. He had beheaded John for all these reasons. And oh dear, the ghost of John had come back to haunt him in this person of Jesus performing supernatural signs and wonders. So we come to our title, Head to Head. Well, this really is an account or a story of two heads, really. Two leaders, so to speak, right? One, his name is called Herod Antipas. And the other one is John the Baptist. So let's introduce ourselves uh, to these two characters a little bit more. Now, the name Herod is not unfamiliar to us. If you read the book of Matthew, the gospel, or all the gospels, this name will pop up every now and then. But there are different Herods. So you need to be acquainted with the different Herods so that you don't get mixed up with the wrong one. Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great is mentioned in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. This is the one that wanted to kill babies when Jesus was born. This was the one that the Magi from the east came and met with him. And later on, this crazy fellow just wanted to kill everyone in sight. His father, Herod the Great's father, is Antipater II, and the grandfather is Antipater I. Profound, huh? Now, these guys were Edomites, Edomians. And they served under the Hasmonean rulers. Now, uh, the Hasmoneans were a Jewish family at those times. And they were in that line and they included high priests and other kings who ruled Judea from an earlier time. Herod the Great was forced to convert to Judaism. So technically, he's like Jewish or half. He earns Roman citizenship for good service to Pompey and Julius Caesar. And then from governor of Judea, he became promoted to be the king of that entire region. And that's why he was called the king of the Jews. 
He later defeats the last Hasmonean ruler, had him executed. This crazy guy also marries quite a few women, ten wives, and he had many other sons. He executes his wife and his sons because they were a threat to him. So that's how insecure, how mad he is as a ruler. No one can take his place. But for the Jews, he was a great builder. He contributed much to the entire region. He even extended the temple as we understand it. But still, no one liked him very much because he ruled with a very, very harsh hand. Now, after Herod's death, Caesar then redistributes the power of the lamb to his sons, in particular, three of them, one of whom is Herod Antipas. Now, Herod Antipas is the one that we're talking about in this chapter. Now, he's called Tetrarch. Tetrarch just means he rules over one quarter of the land. He rules over Galilee and Perea. Now, remember, Jesus ministered around the region of Galilee. So this is under Herod Antipas' jurisdiction. The other one is Herod Achilles. And Achilles is mentioned in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 22. It's like, oh, was there Herod there? Yes, there was. This was when Joseph and Mary brought Jesus back into the land. And it's recorded that the son of Herod the Great was now ruling over that place. He's as crazy as his father. So don't stay there. Go to Nazareth. So this was the other Herod. And this was really the brother of Herod Antipas. There was another Herod, and that's Herod Philip II. And this is a half-brother of Antipas and Achilles by a different mother, but he ruled over another quarter of the land. These were only just three sons, but you've got to keep up with the Herodians because they're other sons. Now, we won't talk about the rest up there, but there are just two other names that I want to point out to you. Now, one is Herod Philip I. And this is another half-brother. Now, this Herod Philip, this guy Philip, is the one that's mentioned in this passage that we are studying. This was Antipas's other brother. And it's from a mother who was the daughter of a high priest. So can you see how interrelated they are with the people of the land and people not of the land? There's another brother called Aristobulus. This is another half-brother by another mother of the same name, but it's a Maccabean princess. Now, if you're not confused by now, I salute you. As I was studying this and trying to put the things together, I had to read so many times because I keep getting mixed up with all the names. Now, you're wondering, why am I telling you about this guy called Aristobulus on this part here? His son is called Agrippa. Familiar name? So his son later on became the King Agrippa. This is the one who kills Apostle James, the brother of John, and then imprisons Peter. And you read this in the book of Acts. This is also the guy who went out unceremoniously. He drops dead and he gets eaten by worms. His grandson of Aristobulus is Herod Agrippa II. This is the one that Paul later presents his case as a Roman to this king. And he tells Paul, Ayo, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. This is the one that sends Paul to Rome. Okay, now, so you have a look at this family tree, so to speak, 
And you notice that they are, it's quite a little messed up family here and there, right? But it's all interrelated. There's political alliances. They marry for the sake of all that. And that's what's important to this family. Now, so in this corner, Herod Antipas. But in the other corner, head to head, John the Baptist. And John is of a priestly line. You know, it's son of Zechariah and of Elizabeth. And he's the cousin of Jesus. Full stop. That's all. It's as straightforward as that. But two different heads. Head to head. Two different heads. What a contrast. Herod's a leader. He's a tetrarch over Galilee and Perea. He operates under Roman authority. He represented Caesar, who is considered a god at that point in time. But look at him. You will see that he is a picture of lavish and licentious living. And I guess he, he would represent an, an, an earthly type of a kingdom. John, on the other hand, was also a leader, but he was the leader of a kingdom movement, recognized by the people informally, not appointed by anyone else under Caesar's authority, but he moved with a powerful kingdom authority. He represented God. He would be a picture of strength, of holiness, of conviction, of righteousness. And I suppose you can say then, he represented a picture of the heavenly kingdom. Head to head, two heads. But can you see it's so different? And I think Matthew wanted us to understand this contrast because we can see ourselves a little bit here and there. Do we vacillate to this side or to that end? But which one do we really stand for? Are we drawn by and representing the earthly kingdom or are we ambassadors of a heavenly one? So you see these two heads coming together and they go head to head with one another. There's a confrontation. Now this is not the first time prophets confront kings. You read the Old Testament. Many, many examples. And it's always like that. Leaders of nations, leaders of groups of people, they are expected to lead according to God's ways. It was plain and simple. God says, if you're going to be a king, ruling over my people, you better do it correctly. Huh? Otherwise, you'll reap the consequences. I will send the people in. So when the kings don't rule or don't lead according to God's ways, God sends prophets to point out their misalignments. And we have so many examples of this, right? We've got Elijah, we've got Jeremiah, we've got Isaiah, we've got Ezekiel. They, they will go confront the leaders where the kings are spiritual leaders. And here's the sad thing. It didn't always end well with the prophets. Anybody want to be a prophet today? Right? It didn't always end well. Okay? Not all of them suffered a bad fate, uh, but, but most of them suffered because of this assignment. Now, you may be thinking, but why go and confront Herod Antipas? I mean, isn't he a pagan king? Well, not really. I just told you. Came from like a half-Jewish line thing. And he's ruling over God's people. Supposedly, then, he's an overseer of the Jews. He recognizes Jewish law, but didn't adhere to Jewish law. So, what happens, right? If you're not going to be like that, if you're not going to follow the law, if you're not going to toe the line, then you watch out. God's going to send a prophet and that prophet is going to call you out. So John the Baptist does that. He called out the Jewish leaders. And you see, Jesus does exactly the same thing. He goes to the Jewish leaders head to head, and he calls them out. He calls them, you brood of vipers, you hypocrites. 
And Jesus wasn't afraid to do that, and John himself was also not afraid to do just that. And so you remember the Herods, this very interesting family? Now, as I was studying this, I realized this one thing. Who needs Korean drama when you have Herodian drama? <laughs> right? The Herodian drama makes the, the Korean drama like no use. Don't even subscribe to it. Don't waste your money. So let me introduce these few characters here. Let's just focus on some of these sons. One is Herod Antipas. The other one is Herod Philip I. And of course, we know Aristobulus with his sons and grandson, Agrippa I and Agrippa II. Let me introduce to you Herodias. Herodias is the daughter of Aristobulus, which makes her the niece of Herod Philip. But she also became the wife of Herod Philip. And Herod Antipas, one day while visiting his brother in Rome, Philip was there, makes a detour and hooks up with Herodias. But there was a little problem because Herod is married to a Nabataean princess whose father is King Eratas, who is mentioned in the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. No problem. Let's get rid of the barriers. So Antipas divorces his wife, the Nabataean princess, and Herodias divorces Herod Philip I. And so they hook up and they get married. But this really angered Herod's father-in-law. So after John's execution, King Aretas actually attacks and defeats Herod Antipas. Drama, huh? Did you get this? Oh, what a twist here and there. I mean, this can be an entire serial that goes on for 13 weeks and have a sequel after that. So can you see, John goes head to head with Herod because of this whole thing. Now, if you think this is just a a private affair. You know, some people say, oh, but it's our marriage. What? You know, as long as they're happy, it's okay already. So John, don't poke your nose into these kind of things. But it wasn't a private affair. It was a public political saga. Your leaders live like that. How do you expect to run the people with this kind of morals and this kind of arrangements? And so John goes to have HTHT with Herod Antipas. Do you know what HTHT stands for? To the young people now, it's called heart-to-heart -heart talk. But no, John comes in and he has a head-to-head -head talk. HTHT. And so he declares this over to Herod. He says, it is not lawful for you to have her. That's a no-no. And he stood really firm. And we understand from this, what John is saying, he's drawing from Scripture, God's laws, marriage is binding. Marriage is binding. Jesus taught it himself in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, I'm not teaching on this here, right? There's already a teaching on SoundCloud. Go and understand what I believe Jesus meant when he spoke about sexual immorality and what he was really addressing because the people then, they were serial divorcees. Whenever they're not happy, they just divorce so that they can hook up with someone else because the law allowed for a divorce. And he says, God only allowed it, Moses allowed it because of your hardness of heart. 
But if you really want to live the righteousness of the law, marriage is binding. Don't talk to me about divorce. And so can you see, the leaders themselves were just divorcing and the people were doing the same thing. So what's the difference? And so John had to go and have that head-to-head talk and point this out, calls Herod Antipas out to say, that's a no-no. We do not recognize your marriage. You better make things right. The law teaches about adultery as well as incest. And you begin to see that in this Herodian family, it was a lot of intermarrying and whoever they like, they take. And they're marrying for alliances. They're marrying for their own personal agenda. Um, there was adultery. It was incest within their family. And Leviticus talks about that. And John says, you cannot do this. Now, even the Greeks, who are not, in inverted commas, God's people, they also view this behavior as a no-no. They were loose enough in their own morals, right? But even something like that to them was a no-no. And if you do something like that, you will incur divine wrath. See, to the Greeks, they even had a moral code of themselves. And so John said what had to be said. And because he said what he had to say, Herod then had to silence him. Well, at least for a while. And so Herod arrests him and chucks him in prison. Puts him down there. Say, cannot, we, we've got to take you out. We, we've got to stop your internet. You, know, you cannot tweet anymore. You cannot post anything on Facebook. Oh, you cannot shout anymore. You cannot do anything. I'm taking you out. There's no more Wi-Fi connection in the dungeons. You stay there. So you cannot say anymore. You can't cause me any more trouble. And so for a while, the heads were on hold. The heads were on hold, right? Because Matthew chapter 14, verse 5 says this, Although Herod wanted to put him to death, He feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. In his heart, Herod Herod wanted to kill him. You see, Herod had no problem killing anyone. Why suddenly he holds back? Why did his head hold back? The Bible tells us, for one reason, he feared the multitude. It's about election is coming. So, So let's not get on the wrong side of the crowd. What if... What if I, I, I whack this guy, kill this guy, and then they turn against me? You never know how these multitudes will respond. The multitudes considered John the Baptist as a prophet. They recognized him. His message might have been difficult, might have been hard, but it was right. And so many would flock to him at the Jordan and be baptized in this message of repentance, and the baptism of repentance, because they realized Israel needed that message at that point in time. So Herod was afraid of offending the masses, of losing the crowd. And so for the sake of politics, for the sake of keeping the peace and keeping the people, he said, better don't do that first. I think this is an issue many leaders grapple with, isn't it? Sometimes we want to do something. Do we confront the issue? And I know what Herod wanted to do was the wrong thing, but he was still afraid of the crowds. But what if you had to do a right thing and then you are afraid of the crowds? It's the same issue we all grapple with. What would we do? Are we afraid of losing the people and that's why we end up compromising? Is there an issue that we need to address in the church but we are afraid that members might run away? So let's not, let's not preach such a hard message. Let's keep them coming back. 
See, whether it's a correct thing or a wrong thing, fearing man keeps you in a snare, right? But we have to fear God. But for Herod here, it kept him from killing John. But no more than just fearing the multitudes, there's a parallel account in Mark chapter 6. Same story. And Mark gives a, a, a slightly different perspective or another perspective. It says there in verse 20, Herod feared John. So it wasn't just that he feared the multitudes. I think this was a bigger reason that he feared John, and it says there, knowing that he was a just and a holy man. See, sinful people actually know what is right. People who compromise and even commit some of these things, they actually know what righteousness is. They just don't want to recognize it. So Herod recognizes that John was correct. He was wrong, but John was right. He was afraid that if I kill this prophet... I would have killed and removed a holy and a just man. There would be a divine consequence. Whether it's superstition or not, we don't know. But that kept him from killing John. And so since I can't kill him, let, let me do the next best thing. Shut up first. Let me keep him under control. right? Let me keep him quiet. At least the situation is contained so I can continue to do what I continue and I want to do. And so Herod puts things on hold. And in the meantime... You know the Bible records this in Mark chapter 6. He actually gave John an audience. In fact, I think he enjoyed John's preaching. It said that he heard him gladly. You see, this is the weird thing, right? Sometimes we can, we can live in certain departments in our lives. We can be living in sin, but we go to church and we say, Good message, pastor. Yeah, we, we can do the unrighteous thing, and yet somehow, well, the message is very inspiringly. And we can hear that gladly, but don't make me change. Well, great one, man, Pastor. I'm very awakened, huh? but don't ask me to align. And Herod was like that. He knew he was wrong. He knew John was right, but he didn't want to repent. He did not want to change. He wanted to keep the status quo. He wanted to have his cake and eat it. So Herod keeps things on hold, and John gets to hold on to his head, at least for a while. And so in going head to head, that's one thing. But you must remember, sometimes when you go head to head, you meet the neck. And the neck is Herodias. Right? You know the old joke that says the husband is the head, right? But the wife is the neck. But the neck turns the head. So you have Herodias coming into the picture. And we know this lady is very critical in this whole story. Because it says that, Herod arrests John and puts him in the prison for the sake of Herodias. Men, would you do things for your wife? And if you say yes, Herod did things for his wife. Herodias wanted John dead, but somehow she hadn't gotten to that yet. So when you compare the two accounts of Matthew and of Mark, Mark writes this way in verse 19 of chapter 6. Herodias held this against him, right? Because John called her out and called Herod out. Held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. She couldn't do it. She had no authority, she had no power, but she knew someone who had. So I can only imagine this. Herodias would have whispered in Herod's ear. Right? She would just keep nagging. Whispering first, then after that, nagging. Her voice rang so loud in Herod's head, but not loud enough for Herod to take John's head. 
Because Herod, for the reasons I mentioned to you earlier, had his reasons to keep it on hold. And so it wasn't working. So she had to find another way. And so she would have thought about it, prayed about it, I guess. And she knows everyone has a weakness. Everyone has a weakness. And I got this line just recently because my, my kids were watching the Hercules uh, animated feature. And Hades, the enemy of this Greek god Hercules, wanted to take this Greek god down. And somehow, you know, Hercules is known for his strength, right? And he was so strong in everything, Hades just couldn't do anything to pull Hercules down. And suddenly it hit him. He says, come on, come on. Everyone has a weakness. So you can be so strong, but everyone has a weakness. And he put his plan into place. And Herodias, I submit to you, knew exactly what the weakness was. So perhaps she waited for the birthday of Herod. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And you know how they celebrate birthdays in those days when the leaders want to throw a party? They throw a party. Right? It's like a zook out. A foam party. Huh? Don't ask me how I know these things, okay? Big, big, huge parties. Lots of guests. Invite anyone and everyone. Lots of drinking. Lots of food. Filled with debauchery. The Romans and the Greeks were known for orgies. This is not a pretty picture. It's not a clean picture, right? Things will be on the floor. They're throwing things on the floor. You know, it's men, women, and they're just enjoying themselves. And Herodias knew this. It was happy birthday, Herod. Happy birthday, Herod. And at the right time, bring in Weapon S. Introducing Weapon S. So what's Weapon S? S stands for Salome. And Salome is the name of the daughter of Herodias, which means she's also the daughter of Philip I, which means this is Antipas's grandniece as well as the stepdaughter. Because Herodias is actually the niece of Philip and the niece of Herod Antipas, which makes Salome the grandniece of Antipas. Now, not only that, in time to come, Salome will be betrothed to Philip II, which we met earlier, who's the granduncle. I told you, Herodian drama. Right? It's all mix and match type, you see. So this is crazy. So S stands for Salome, this girl who comes in and uh, does a performance. But it's not any old performance because S also stands for sex and sensuality. When Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Now, Salome would have been about 12 to 14 years old. If you look at the language, the word that was used to describe her, is a, it was a young girl. It was a young girl, pubescent, teenager, 12 to 14 years old, coming in to dance at this kind of party. What kind of dance do you think it is? So she goes in there and she dances. And it says that she danced before Herod and she danced before them. That means the entire crowd. And it pleased Herod. How was Herod pleased? Friends, can you just think a little bit here? Do you think, do you think she, she danced so well, her lines were so beautiful, that Herod looked at her and goes, Wow, such talent. Allow me to be a patron of your arts. Let me pay for your dance career. You want to set up a dance school all over Judea? Let me sponsor your dance performance tour. I don't think so. 
right? He wasn't pleased in that way. I think he was a different pleasure, more likely aroused. Herod was not just pleased in that manner, Herod was aroused. See, in the same way Herod lasted after the mother, Herodias, his niece, he now lasted after her daughter, his grandniece. That's why Herodias was smart. This was weapon S. And she knew what worked before will work again. It's the same mode of operation. And when we look at this, we have to ask ourselves, today in our day and age, do you think these things are still happening? And we mustn't be naive. More and more, we are seeing the, the over-sexualization of children, where they are made to dress up as if they are adults, where they are made to perform, gyrate, to follow the dance moves. And when they are able to do that, parents are so quick to video it, hoping that that video will go viral. And we are so excited that our children are so talented because of that. Forgetting that there are people like Herod and his gang, looking at the pictures and the videos these days, and they're doing crazy things with it. See, S stands for sex and sexuality. It was a problem then. It continues to be a problem today. And remember that line, everyone has a weakness. And I want to be honest with you, and I want you to be honest with me also, and we be open now, let's be authentic. You know? For men, we have to be careful of this problem. I'm not saying the women are not open to these things. But for the men, we must be very careful about this same problem that happens over and over and over again. It has not changed from decades, centuries ago. It was a problem then. It continues to be a problem today. And friends, if you want to be on kingdom assignment, you've got to pay heed. You've got to take heed. Because the enemy knows your weakness. The enemy will use a Herodias and will use a weaponess. At the right time, right? In Mark, actually, he says, at an opportune time. Not when you're on a high, serving kingdom assignment, praise the Lord, come to you. No. It's when you are not having your gut up. Do you know when to come in? The late Reverend Dr. Billy Graham was very strict with his own ministry ethics. And he warned younger ministers, and even for himself, he says three things. The temptation of gold, glory, and girls. You can call it anywhere else, right? But these three things. The devil uses the same technique over and over again, and he has worked countless times. He'll get you with gold, which is money. He'll get you with glory, which is power and fame and position. And if he still can't pull you down, he throws a girl in. And we have to be careful. Today continues to be a huge problem in society. It's getting worse. Nothing is new under the sun. We have sexual immorality on a, on a rise all over. We have porn. Today, you don't look for porn. Porn looks for you. Right? Last time, you got to search all over the place to try and find something that's pornographic. Today, at the touch and the click of a mouse, it's there. And you don't have the click. It's delivered directly to you. Pedophilia. There are network syndicates 12-year-old girls, 13-year-old girls, some even younger, child trafficking, rape, molest, child abuse. And the sad thing is this, friends, it's not only happening in the society, it's happening in the church. This is weapon S. And the enemy knows 
it works. He's using this to break the body of Christ, to break the marriage, to break the family. If you still think that you are beyond this or above this, don't be naive, okay? There's nothing new under the sun. You better be careful. Well, S also stands for stupid sayings when seduced by sex and sensuality. <laughs> stupid, silly. So therefore, Herod promised an oath to give her whatever she might ask. And in Mark it says, whatever you want, up to half my kingdom. Now there's a little problem. The kingdom was not Herod's to give in the first place. You see how crazy this is? So when you're seduced by something like that, of course he was under the influence of alcohol, he had all his old cronies and his friends down there, pride got to the head of his head. He was talking big. He was sounding big. He was sounding good in front of all his guests. Whatever you want, I, I, I will give to you. You can have anything you want. He wasn't being generous, he was just talking bigger than himself. And sometimes we are like that, isn't it? <laughs> under a temptation, under something that we want, you know, we, we suddenly become this person that we are not. Right? We, we think we are much better, we, we think we are much bigger, and things that come out of our mouth, we better be careful. Don't talk too much and don't talk too fast. And I believe Herod offered the girl what he wanted of her. Ask me of anything, because he was waiting for the girl to tell him, you can ask me of anything. And the old fox fell for the trap of Herodias. I'm not being rude when I call him a fox. Because Jesus called him the fox. See, Jesus knew he was sneaky. But this sneaky guy was seduced by weapon S. And he fell for a trap himself. Well, obviously, Salome was sent in by Herodias. Herodias was always there in the background. How do we know? Because the moment Herod said, I'll give you anything, anything you want, you ask. This 12 year ago, 13 year ago, didn't know what to ask. So she goes to mommy and goes, so do I ask, huh? What, what, what do I ask for? Can I ask for an increase of allowance? Can I have my latest iPad Pro? And Herodias looked at her and says, no, la, those one I can give you. You ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. See, she was behind this all the time. And we know because in verse 8 of Matthew chapter 14, so she having been prompted by her mother, manipulated by the mother, guided by the mother, coached by the mother, and later when John was executed, she then gave the head and brought it to the mother. She didn't want the head. The mother wanted the head. S also stands for sorry because Herod Antipas, the king, was sorry. You say, well, oops, too late already. Huh? Say already. Huh? Cannot take back. Huh? Matthew and Mark, they were being sarcastic because actually he wasn't king. He was only a regional ruler, you understand? He wasn't even a king. And obviously he didn't act like one, but he thought that he was one in that sense. But as king, if he was really king, he could have changed his mind. Right? He could have just changed everything and everything would have been okay, you see. But pride and honor stood in the way. And that's why we have to be careful. You see, sometimes we say things and we cannot retract it because we said it in a moment of pride. And especially when it's made in front of so many witnesses, so many guests, cannot lose face. 
So since Herod cannot lose his face, John had to lose his head. And so he ordered for John to be executed immediately. They brought up John's head on a platter. And again, the whole idea is so that there will be proof. You see, Herodias was smart. She didn't want to be outfoxed by the fox. He could have bluffed her and say, done already lah, you know, <laughs> bury the body already lah. Say, no, 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 bring me the head. And since it's a party, we've got lots of platters. Let's serve it up there. And it was proved that John was really executed, totally dead, and it was given to Salome, who brought it to Herodias, the one who was behind the plot. This is Herodian drama, very drama. This would have been rated M18 or something like that. Head to head. Two heads coming against one another. Two heads having a head-to-head talk, but one head sort of prevailed over the other one, and the other one lost his head. And so although this passage seemed to be about Herod and John, I don't want you to miss this. It is still very, very much about Jesus. Right? Matthew is always writing about Jesus, and this account, it seems to be like a, a sidebar, but it's still about Jesus. See, John's role was always to point to Jesus. John's role was always to hand over to Jesus. John might have been the head of a kingdom movement, but really John was just one head handing over to another head. It was one head to another head. As a forerunner of the Christ and the Messiah, John's ministry and death also foreshadowed that of the one he came to be forerunner to. So from this story, we see that through his life and even in and through his death, John kept pointing to the Christ. I mean, this is amazing when you start to see the parallels between these two. For example, John announced Jesus and Jesus affirmed John. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He hands over the kingdom of God continues, the kingdom of God advances. There's no break. Nothing stops. John preached repentance and expected fruits worthy of repentance. Jesus preached exactly the same thing. He preached repentance and expected righteous living too. Similarly, Herod heard John's teaching gladly but did not repent. The leaders of Jerusalem or or Israel marveled at Jesus' teaching but did not believe. John took Herod to task. Jesus took the leaders to task. Herod feared the multitudes because they considered John as a prophet. Do you know that similarly, the leaders later will record that they feared the multitudes because they also considered Jesus a great prophet. Herodias schemed to have John killed. Later on, the leaders schemed to have Jesus killed. John died for righteousness' sake. Jesus died for righteousness' sake. Both experienced firsthand what Jesus warned his disciples about in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you be careful, all right? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The same way they did it to the prophets before you, they're going to do it to you. Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 says, as I send you out, I send you out as sheep amongst wolves. They will arrest you, they will catch you, they will flog you, they will ill-treat you, right? They will persecute you. Some they will also kill. But you don't worry, just keep preaching because the Holy Spirit will give you 
the right words to say. And even if you lose your life, don't worry, because the Father in heaven can raise that up. See, John and Jesus, similar. And we see it was really from one head handing over to another head. And right in verse 12, the last verse in our passage today, when John was beheaded, executed, died, after that, who knows what they did with the body, right? They might have just discarded out there, never gave him a nice, honorable uh, burial of sorts. But John's disciples did a very brave thing. They went in there, they took away the body, they buried it. Now, who did they go to after that? They went and they told Jesus. Or you can say, well, Jesus is the cousin. They're very close. They grew up together. Oh, Jesus is very close, you know, because John was the one that baptized him. I said, yeah, possible. But I think there's something here that we mustn't miss. You see, their head was no more. Who is now taken over the head of the kingdom? Who is moving now this next movement? Jesus. And I won't be surprised if the disciples of John, some had already moved to be disciples of Jesus. That's why John said, it's okay, I must decrease. He must increase. So don't feel bad if you need to go to Jesus. But some stayed with John. But after this, after this, the transition is complete. It is clear. There's no more John. He hands over to Jesus. I'm willing to suggest this and bet on this. The disciples of John became the disciples of Jesus. It was one kingdom head handing over to another kingdom head. And so as we flash back forward into the account, we see Matthew 13 closed on a prophetic note with a rejection of a prophetic voice in Jesus. Matthew 14 opens with the silencing of the prophetic voice in John the Baptist. But make no mistake, there's no stopping the kingdom at all. Why? Because the kingdom continues to advance for one simple reason, that the king himself continues to advance. From this point forward, Matthew chapter 14, Jesus will keep moving forward steadily on his kingdom assignment towards Jerusalem. But as we understand from this account, foreshadowed by John's death, Jesus will go head to head with the religious leaders and he will be killed. This is like a trailer, a teaser, something that is there that we know on hindsight now. But the message is clear and I'm going to close with this because the message applies to all of us. See, the prophetic voice of the kingdom must continue to be sounded and must continue to be heard. And this prophetic voice is a righteous voice. It is for righteousness sake and because of that, not everyone will accept it. But like Herod, there will be many who will like this prophetic voice. They like to hear it, they'll say amen to it, but they do not necessarily want to respond to it. It's the same today. And when it gets too loud and too uncomfortable, the tendency is to silence it. And I can tell you, the enemy of all enemies against the kingdom will seek to silence it, and he will use agents who are willing to be used to scheme against the silencing of the prophetic voice. But we must also be aware that those who declare righteousness may lose their heads. 
it's a very clear warning. Just because we don't see much of it here doesn't mean it's not happening. We know there are many accounts in many other places where believers are being persecuted just for being believers of Jesus Christ. And when they speak righteousness and they stand and they live for that, they lose their lives. Many have literally lost their heads. What about us? What about you? When called upon to do so, will you go head to head with unrighteousness? You may not be called to go against the Herod, but will you stand up against unrighteousness? Will you speak? Will you help to make things right? And you may not be heeded, you may not be heard, you may not be listened to. In fact, sometimes they may come against you, they may bite your head off. My question is, will you, will I, are we prepared to lose face? Are we prepared to lose head even for the sake of righteousness? Are you prepared to lose even your position, whatever favor you may have for the sake of the righteousness and for the sake of the kingdom? Are you willing to do it for the sake of Jesus who is today, you know, the head of the church as well as the head of the kingdom of God? And I leave you these questions because I can't answer them for you. I must answer them for myself and you must answer them yourselves. Because who knows when that time or that day is that you must stand up and go head to head for the glory of Jesus. Come, let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the prophetic voice. And we know the prophetic voice is made available to us because we are people of the kingdom. And we don't speak by our own will or our own agendas, but we speak as led by the Holy Spirit. The church is a prophetic people, and a prophetic people must have a prophetic voice. But Lord, I pray that you give us that spirit that is of power, of love, of courage, but not of fear, not of timidity, but also of sound mind. That we, at the right time, will say what needs to be said with courage, but also with wisdom, and yet at the same time with love and grace. Lord, is so confusing and so contradictory at times, but I pray you will help us so that, Lord, we can stand faithful for you. And be with us, Lord, for those who are struggling. Perhaps they have said it and they are reaping a consequence where people have rejected them or people have come against them. Lord, will you comfort them also with the prophetic voice to say that men or the enemy can harm our physical natures, but Lord, we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Maybe we comforted by that and look forward to the day when the King comes to reward those who have stood up squarely and fearlessly for His glory. And so we thank you again, Lord, for your word. Thank you again for leading us. Thank you again, Lord, for being our Lord. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.